We will be able to predict if the patients will respond to this treatment. We will be able to predict the retaining investments. So how many patients will actually use this treatment? It means that when you be able to predict the futures, the business models are better. You don't have a PNL based on the past. You can predict and you see what is the value, what is the impact of these treatments, and you can move to outcome-based models. Guided by over 25 years in the data and research industry and assisting innovators with investment banking and advisory services, Seema Vasa brings you Data Gurus, a leading market research podcast that offers actionable insights for business acceleration and value creation. Join her as she speaks with key innovators in the space to bring you up to speed with the current state and the future of data analytics and data ecosystems. This is Data Gurus. Tired of market research solutions that put your project in a box? At Paradigm Sample, we approach market research support with customized and consultative solutions. Whether you need help with questionnaire design, survey programming, or online data collection, we're ready to assist. Let us know your needs, and we can customize a solution just for you. Learn more at ParadigmSample.com. Welcome to another episode of Data Gurus. This is Seema Vasa, your host. I'm excited to welcome Dr. Lubna Boafa, who is the co-founder of Okra AI and just an expert on artificial intelligence and specialty in that field. Welcome, Lubna. Thanks, Seema. It's my pleasure to join you in Data Guru. I was so excited that you agreed to do this because not many women are in the field of AI. And it's just nice to connect with somebody such as yourself who's made such a great impact. Can you just tell us a little bit of your background and how you got to this point? Absolutely. As a child, I always loved engineering, loved mathematics, and I decided to pursue my studies in actually very male-dominated study in electrical engineering. And that was not inspiring at all at the beginning. So I thought, oh, I was stuck. But luckily in the masters, I discovered the field of machine learning and pattern recognition where actually you don't program the machine with rules, but you teach the machine how to learn by itself. And that was so inspiring to me that the field that is so close to us, it's not very deterministic and rule-based, but rather more with the flow. It learns from data using statistical models. And that is uh, what really inspires me and the application into healthcare. When I first applied, I uh, used AI to predict surgical errors, to predict how long the patients will take to recover from the surgery. And that's when I realized that applying AI for healthcare is not an easy task because there is a lot of cultural change that needs to happen, but also it's a necessary because healthcare can improve a lot with this technology. And after spending years in academia and in the startup world, I decided to part Okra in late 2015, really with the mandate, how can we bring this self-learning technology to help bring these innovative treatments to patients at scale? As many patients worldwide are waiting for innovative treatments that are taking 20 years in labs to get to them. And many of them, unfortunately, don't get those drugs, don't get those treatments. So how can we use this technology to help speed up this process and to help these beautiful treatments created in the lab to reach the patients worldwide at a global scale 
and for equitable access. So not only in countries where we have easy access, but worldwide, how can we make sure regulators understand how this new drug works? And once they do, how can we make sure all the doctors understand how it works and bring it to patients? And last but not least, once it is out there, how can we make sure every patient, whether in rural area or urban area, when there is treatment that works for them there, that they can get it. And that is why I found Okra AI and we use AI for the go-to-market. How can we bring this treatment that is mostly innovative to these patients at scale? What a amazing purpose and mission for a company, right? To truly provide equitable access to innovative drugs for people who might not even have heard of them or know that they exist. Yeah, absolutely. I met so many patients worldwide where they've heard of treatments, they didn't reach their countries, or even when they reach their countries, they educate their doctors themselves to be able to get these treatments. And that is in the period where we have AI, it is for me unethical to wait for people to get sick and not help them to prevent being sick in the first place. And when they are, to get them the right treatment that is already out there. So how does that work? I mean, there's so many steps here that you've talked about as it relates to education of regulators, education of physicians, finding where people are sick, and then getting the treatment to them. I mean, that's a major process. And how did you approach it? And how does AI fit into that model? Yeah, so we always worked with our customers. We didn't work in isolation. We always approached the problem as engineers and working with, the, with our clients. There were multiple steps to this process. Once the drug is developed in the lab, there is a clinical trial process. And these clinical trials are designed in a way to be able to get access to specific major markets like the US, like Europe, which means they need to pass the regulatory barrier. So that is when we embarked with a partnership with the top five pharma company, and we developed what we call the pricing brain. So it is an AI system that learns from all the historical decisions from the regulators and learns from all the pricing decisions in the past and for a new molecule, for a new drug, to be able to predict years in advance what will be the value of this drug, how many patients out there will need this drug, which are the comparators out there that can compare with this drug. And then as we work through the pricing brain, then of course we came to the point, okay, great, now these drugs are approved, now they need to be launched. And in order to be launched, we need to educate, or pharma companies need to educate all the PULs in the market, all the key opinion leaders in the US, in Europe, in India, everywhere in the world about this new treatment. So they need to speak the same language, the same language. And that is where our medical brain came. Of course, everyone ner- knows about ChatGPT. Actually, it also uses similar model. It uses NLP technology to first extract the needle in the high stack of information to first extract what are the evidence gaps? What's the key information that the KOLs are talking about? And what is that evidence that we need to bridge? And then once we do that, then we use the shared language models to be able to summarize to the different units in the organizations from medical affairs to C-suit to clinical trials to really tell them this is the piece of evidence we need to bring in order to convince these KOLs and to collaborate with them through the launch. And last but not least, once this drug is launched, now comes the heavy lifting, where basically 
we need to educate all the doctors because doctors know about the standard care treatments of 20 years ago because that's what they were used to. And we need to change their behavior to be prescribed this new treatment. And that is when we use our commercial brain. It's an AI system that learns from all the demographics of that country, all the prescription behavior of doctors, and identifies where there is the patients with the switch opportunity that actually will be better with this treatment than the old standard care treatment. And that is when we provide the commercial reps with the right method to be able to change this behavior. So basically all what we do is try to shorten that time that exactly to get to the hands of the patient that need it. Very exciting. It's quite innovative, obviously. And what I'm hearing you also say is that the accessibility of the data that you had for each of these three brains to be able to build your case, convince doctors, and ultimately provide the commercial go-to-market materials and information really sits on a robust set of data. Absolutely. Look, we are still at the age that data has not been collected to train this artificial intelligence. We are still in the age that data is being collected for transaction purposes, like clinic data, for workflow purposes, like CRM data, for pricing. And we are at this inflection point where we are collecting data for bureaucratic purposes, but we have the tools to leverage it to bring intelligence. So our brains learns from data that sits in the public domain, like regulatory decisions, like clinical trial data that sits at the clients, legacy systems like CRM data, pricing data, and data that comes from third parties, uh, other vendors. And it learns from all these wealth of data and it predicts the outcome. It gives explanation to users and what actions they need to drive. So imagine we achieving this already with data that is not being collected to train AI. So as we transition to the port industry revolution, we will be collecting data to train AI, which will be much, much better fit, and we will be able to make much better impact on uh, patient outcomes than we do today. When do you think we're going to transition to that point to collect the data, to be able to train AI tools to enhance life, let's say, or enhance different processes? I mean, I'm an optimist, but I am a little bit disappointed with the speed by which we are moving in healthcare. We've always been an evidence-based industry and we know it. We clinical trials, we collect data, but when it came to this technology, I predicted we will be doing this already today. And unfortunately, it's taken very long time. And as I know that we are moving to the regulatory discussion, I think we should leverage the regulations to speed up the innovation in this space and not to delay it even further. We need the data is the fuel of evidence in this industry. It's not only for pricing and transactions and workflow, but we need it to drive outcomes because if we don't move faster, we won't be able to move to outcome-based healthcare where we are paying for patients getting better and not for the drug because that's the goal. And I think there is some movement there, but we are much, much slower than we should be in this space. And have you, I'm sure you've talked to so many people, have you kind of understood the, I don't want to say lack of motivation, but the lack of progress, what the barriers are. I'm sure you've had millions of conversations related to it. Absolutely. It's always the same thing. It's the human fear of the thing. It's unfortunately, and I think if you compare the consumer market with the B2B market, 
it's completely different landscape. So where we need AI the most in healthcare, in education, in infrastructure, we are putting heavy regulations, it's high risk, we need to protect the data, we cannot share data. At the same time, you go to the consumer market, people are sharing everything. So although now it's an open book for everybody, don't fear as a mother, is that if we don't act as ecosystem, as healthcare, as public organizations and uh, private organizations in this ecosystem, we know what is going to happen. What exactly happened with the internet when it was closed group, it was fine, but if it's open to everyone else, then you got the big tech that came and started putting the rule and they took the role of the state, like Amazon's, the eBay's of the world. So what is going to happen if we don't act? at system and address the scale and the need and the speed of the patients, then the next big company will come and replace the whole health ecosystem as we know it. They will provide free doctors, free prescriptions, and they get the data for selling more ads, which is not great. So that future ads not what I want for my children. So uh, I believe we should act much faster and bring the speed and the accuracy to healthcare. Uh, just on a personal level, do you have any human fear around the progression of AI and how it plays a role in our society? You mentioned your kids, so I'm sure you think about their future. I don't have fear around AI. I have fear around business models that are wrong. AI is a, just a tool. It learns from data and data can be addressed. But what my problem is with business models that when I call them the Trojan horse, where they give you a service for free while they actually collecting your data. That is not the right model. So I have uh, no fear around applying AI to drive impact and to drive outcomes, even commercial applications where there is a clear subscription model. However, applications where the business model is about selling more ads and leveraging AI as a tool to sell any service that is for free, I am worried. So it's not for free. So as we know, many platforms are now for free. The fear is not the AI, the fear is how we use it. Which is why you've done a lot of work on the regulatory front. Tell us a little bit about your work there and its purpose. In 2018, the European Commission appointed 52 experts to actually come up with the regulations around trustworthy AI as our victory in Europe around the Second World War, the GDPR, how information should be kept and protected. So that drove that, and it was one of the early work, and we came up with several key requirements for trustworthy AI. My voice at the high-level expert group was always that we need to balance regulation with innovation. As I mentioned earlier, regulation is always running behind innovation. In the consumer market, we are just running behind. We can't even cope with the speed and can you say you need consent for people to share data? Everyone is sharing data every day without any issue. So it's very hard to keep up the speed, but the B2B market in the regulated markets like healthcare and so forth, that in the areas that actually, yeah, get affected the most. So regulation is made with big tech in mind, but what actually affects most is not big tech. It's affecting areas where we need to make impact. So. And as the work we did at the European Commission resulted lately on the AI Act, it's classified AI applications into a high risk, low risk, mid risk, etc. And I think it's good. I mean, where we have AI systems impacting human lives, it needs to be trustworthy, which is of course, but we should also take impact into account. 
where there is a technology that can predict outcomes of patients, that can predict the right treatment, it is unethical to not use it. And that is the other edge of the sword from the regulatory side that I think we should consider because if we don't, we know what is going to happen. Going directly to the consumer, we can check all the boxes. We will be everywhere fine, but then data will be leveraged for completely different purposes than we want. Interesting. And when you talk about high-risk AI, and obviously there's a lot of focus there in terms of making sure there's trustworthy AI and it's regulated and monitored, how does that work? Just give me an idea of how that's even monitored and checked. So when we developed the guidelines, it was best practices. There was no monitoring. I think the high-risk applications are the ones that are important. For example, healthcare is one because the system will impact the outcome for patients or which treatment they do. It's a regulated market. And there are different barriers. There are already regulations in the medical devices industry, like the CE marking. And unfortunately, it not only bring in safety, it also brings a lot of delay for the innovation to achieve the patient. And I think that we are entering a new era where the risk for not bringing this innovation is much, much higher than actually creating a more pragmatic regulatory framework like sandboxing, where you have the standards pathway for patients, but you run the AI system in parallel and you are validating the AI system as you go. So you have both the human and the AI system. And that is where we need to move rather than blocking already with rules before, because the risks are much, much higher and we know that. So to me, what is high risk today is not what is high risk tomorrow. So you cannot cluster it with the view of today. We only use the knowledge from the past to cluster these applications. Yeah, it sounds like it's a fine balance of making sure that to what you were saying before, that if done through the regulatory framework, it's accessible to everybody versus if it's not done, then there is commercial opportunity and then it's done from capitalistic perspective versus a societal perspective, especially in the medical arena. And I think you said infrastructure is another area and education, like these are basis of how society is formed. And so governments have to act in a fine balance here in terms of moving quickly, but also bringing people along. Absolutely. And I think looking at the generation of today, for example, the infrastructure side or in the entertainment or like the vacation, if you want to book a vacation, you book Airbnb very quickly with app or an Uber very fast. But when it comes to being a doctor and getting a prescription, you have to be on a waiting list and you have to wait and there is a process. It just doesn't fit the era of today. <laughs> so the speed of the customer and the patient is finally a customer and a consumer. So we need to match the same speed in this ecosystem as well. Otherwise, we're going to lose the patient and they're going to go somewhere else. Are you seeing some countries embrace it more than others? Yes, absolutely. We have countries in Europe, for example, Estonia, where the data is much smaller countries where the innovation is high and there is lots of innovation supported by government. And so there are countries ahead of others. And you could also in COVID, countries that are already collecting data, they were the early ones to get the vaccine because they already had framework and they could leverage that data to support pharma companies to bring evidence. Israel, the UK, and so data has become a very important currency in this industry. It's amazing because, at least in the market research industry, these companies that have large sets of data, at one point they were considered maybe slow and not innovative, but 
all of a sudden when you put AI as a layer of innovation and being able to query data and teach the machine, I should say, what conclusions to draw from the data, your perspective totally changes as it relates to the different players in the ecosystem. And I would imagine that's for every industry where the data actually is allowed to be utilized to train the models is really competitive differentiation. Absolutely. I completely agree. And I think the good thing that the incentives are aligned. So even that every stakeholder in the healthcare ecosystem is a little bit in a tunnel vision, they just want to only approve radical innovation. Incremental innovation is not enough. Doctors will only want to prescribe the not, not too expensive treatment. Uh, pharma companies want to bring, want to sell uh, innovative treatments. But the final goal is healing the patient. And that is good. So I think bringing that speed across the system and changing the mindset from the tunnel vision to how can we together drive outcomes for patients at scale, because the other alternative is much, much worse. Patients move into a different player with a Trojan horse, a business model where they're going to share the data, get everything, drugs prescribed from a different country, different jurisdiction, and it will be an open market, no one regulates. That is completely a nightmare story. So let's work together and let's bring speed to this ecosystem because we have the same incentive and the same goal. And it's neatly different than when you have the incentive of standing more ads. Yeah, and I think philosophically, it's just how do you define a civil society to some degree, right? If the incentive is to save patients and lives, then other incentives are deprioritized, which is, I don't want to get too political, but as obviously return on investment might get deprioritized and saving lives is the top priority. So it's an interesting shift. Yeah, and with the technology, with AI, the good news, we can predict outcomes. If we leverage the right data from all these players, we will be able to predict if the patients will respond to this treatment. We will be able to predict the investments. So how many patients will actually use this treatment? It means that when you be able to predict the futures, the business models are better. You don't have a PL based on the past. You can predict and you see what is the value, what is the impact of these treatments, and you can move to outcome-based models. And the risk is much lower than we used in the past. So we have all the ingredients. We just have to bring it together and to bring the speed to this, yeah, regulating market. In some ways, it's comforting to have reduced uncertainty, right? Because you can predict the future, but it's just being able to cross that chasm and saying, okay, let's embrace this a little bit more in a more accelerated way. Absolutely. I think we are exactly at that chasm. And if we don't, the alternative would great. So are you now spending your time advocating for this shift to happen in the medical market? Is that your primary focus? I know you've sold your company. Do you just give us a little bit of where your focus is now? Yeah, so I am still driving Okra to actually change to because we moved from a startup with a big mission to now part of a bigger company with actually bigger opportunities. So I'm driving this transition to the new phase and really scale our AI brains to multiple customers. We have four customers. Now we are 400 customers, which is amazing. So I'm actually, my goal and to drive Okra to meet this scale and make a structure for the team that can drive this strategy and maximize impact for our customers with AI. That's number one. And number two, my work on policy as with the European Commission, with the member states, but also, for example, the Oxford Internet Institute, that's doing work on the policy side 
I'm a board member and really how can we show that future where this technology is going to impact and try to avoid the mistakes we already made for the industrial revolution to happen again and learn from that and make the shift to outcome-based models, which is by the way, not only in healthcare, it's happening across all the ecosystems in climates. We're going to be able to actually make better business models when we drive carbon-free products at the market. And that is the same for healthcare, the same for education. So we just need to do it in the right way. So I am advocating for that shift and trying to really translate it to the different stakeholders from that perspective, because sometimes people have a difficult time to see how this is impacting me and what can I do? And every one of us can do something from where we sit, uh, whether you are working on a a regulatory side or on the point of care side, or whether you are a key opinion leader, you can drive change from that angle. It's incredible. Thank you so much for joining me today, Lovna. This conversation was actually enlightening and positive because I think so much of what we hear about AI is fear and fear, uncertainty, and doubt. But this conversation is inspiring to see the benefits of how we can use AI for helping people and really creating outcome-based models. Absolutely, Simai, completely agree. I think every tool, including AI, has a huge potential to change our world to the better, but also to the worse. The problem is not the technology, it's how we use it, and the business models matter. So that is, if we have any skepticism, we first have to prove our business models and needs to be aligned to the outcome and to the products we're selling. When we are then making money with different products and giving a Trojan horse to people who to collect their data, that needs to be regulated, but not, not the technology. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you so much. And I look forward to keeping in touch with you. Thank you, Tima. And then looking forward to connect again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Data Gurus podcast brought to you by Infinity Squared. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Tired of market research solutions that put your project in a box? At Paradigm Sample, we approach market research support with customized and consultative solutions. Whether you need help with questionnaire design, survey programming, or online data collection, we're ready to assist. Let us know your needs and we can customize a solution just for you. Learn more at ParadigmSample.com.